Hello, and welcome to the Geekiest Podcast, where we sit around and talk to our friends about all things geeky, all the while giving each other geek points to determine who is the geekiest. Welcome to the Geekiest. I'm Joe. I'm Kayla. And I'm Will. Hey, welcome back. Uh, hey, so, it's Will. Uh, so, uh, as you've heard uh, previous couple episodes, Will has uh, been on the show. Um, Will will be joining us as a member of the hosting team, uh, as he already kind of had unofficially. Uh, but uh, we figured since we've all bared our souls to you, uh, discussing our, our our geek bona fides, uh, we would give Will the same treatment. So buckle up. As long as there's no lotion involved. No, 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 definitely not. It's all dry. As well it should be. So, uh, so, so something that had entered my mind after last week's uh, conversation with uh, Christopher Neglin, uh, you mentioned you had been uh, been involved in the vampire LARP scene. Um, I have played vampire. But I've never LARPed. So how did so, so did you play the tabletop game first and then get into the LARP scene, or was it just jump right into the LARP scene? Uh, I couldn't actually find a group to get involved with as far as the tabletop game goes. Uh, but we did have a, a pretty significant group for the LARP. Uh, and it's a very much a different beast altogether when you talk about a tabletop game versus a LARP game. Uh, the, the mentality behind it is a little different because you are actually acting out rather than this is what my guy does now. Okay. For, for those of us who have not LARPed, like, I, again, I've played so, you know, with the exception of the D20 version of Vampire, uh, you know, it's always been about dice pools and however many D10s you're rolling to try to accomplish something. So that's the, uh, that's the, 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 the decision making mechanic or the, uh, the activity mechanic for the tabletop game. How, how does someone resolve what they can or can't do in a LARP? Well, speaking speaking to Vampire specifically with their live with their LARP system, which is Theater of the Mind, uh, it it takes the gameplay and simplifies it literally down to base core. This is really all you need to have. There's no dice needed. Conflict resolution is built upon a very simple rock, paper, scissors. Uh, And you have uh, certain powers and abilities that give you uh, a two out of three, or this makes you go first, or these are the different powers you have that can negate other things. Uh, But Really, the only thing that you need going into this LARP game with Theater of the Mind is your character sheet, which is you can fit on a note card. And you, you need nothing else, really. You don't even need the rule book because there's 
there's going to be people around that have them already. That's that's a question I've had. Um, is that you said there's people around with rule books? So are there like DM? Is it like kind of hanging around, kind of furthering the story and and being the the decision makers on rules and stuff? Are they like refs? Like how does that work? Depending on the size of the group that you have, there will be and and this is for theater of the mind vampire larping they're called they're they're not called uh dms or gms they're storytellers because ultimately what you're telling is a story uh there would be one two three of them going around with uh centralized storylines that they're working with and base plot points uh, but depending on how big the group is, is how many there are uh, figure if you have 10 people, you're going to have one upwards of 15. You might want to have two, uh, maybe even three, depending on the level of action at that current point, because you're going to have to have people running around overseeing different battles, explaining rules, helping other players, uh, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. That's cool. So like in a tabletop game, you would have non-player characters are, I mean, I, I, I imagine the bulk of the LARP is going to be player characters, but are there are there characters there that are played by you know folks who are trying to figure out how to word this without sounding sounding like I'm um, being overly technical? But like, are there non-player characters? Are there plot characters that are just there to you know be a certain person in the in the game community? Uh, are there players playing NPCs or alternates playing NPCs? Sometimes. Uh, and sometimes if your personal character is off doing something and you're not going, that character is not going to be around for the scene that you're playing that evening, you could go up and say, hey, you have anybody that you need played? And they'll be like, yeah, we do. We have, you know, so-and-so who's a police detective who's investigating this murder in this alleyway. Oh, that's really cool. That's- and like any good storyteller or DM, you have NPCs just written up, drawn out. Here you go. Here's Here it is. That's pretty cool. And, and I, I will give you a geek point for trying to desperately not make it too technical against your better urges. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so uh, you had mentioned, uh, so kind of then going backwards, uh, you ca- weren't able to find a tabletop game, so you got into LARP. When did you get into tabletop gaming, uh, and 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 what was what was that first nugget of, of of tabletop gaming that that hooked you? Oh, I'm going to date myself here. Uh, it's 1987. I am in my buddy's bedroom uh, around the corner from my house, and he breaks out the uh, red box D and D and goes, "This is awesome." And the next 24 hours were a blur. Yep. I love that. That's amazing. Uh, the, the red box was also my, uh, my, my first foray into it. Although it was 1983, I think for me. Well, the, the, the weirdest thing about it, and I, I don't know if it's the same pretty much globally, but I think it pretty well is it, it stirred something in your head that you're, it's like, okay, so I'm this person, I'm in this action scene. And uh, of course we all start off, okay, we're dungeon crawling. We're not actually doing major role, R-O-L-E. We're doing lots of double L's. Uh, but it's you can picture yourself in this role in your mind's eye. And 
uh, vampire uh, tie-in there. Uh, <laughs> That's a geek point. Oh, thank you. But you can you can kind of see the movie playing in your head and where this character is going to go, and then like every good DM, okay, it's downtime now. So here's where the role playing comes in, and who is this character? What does he do in the downtime? Uh, what are the motivations? And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper until you're locked in on this character. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, just an oddball question: Do you remember your first character? I think I remember it. It was he. It was an orc fighter, and I want to say his name was Ogrig. Sticks in my mind for some reason. <laughs> that sounds. That sounds like that 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 first first character. I think my my first one was a elf because uh, that was both race and class, uh, and his name was Jamie. That was what, that was only his name among the humans. His name amongst elves was Exxon. Spelled like the gas station. Inspired by the Exxon gas station Lego set I had, that was probably one of my probably one of my favorite Lego sets because uh, all the there were a bunch of different shape pieces that you could then use to build spaceships. That's a geek point. <laughs> <laughs> just for the fact that you had an exxon lego set yeah i didn't even know that was a thing oh it was the early 80s everything was a thing <laughs> yeah some of them still stick around the hess trucks are still going strong every christmas oh, and and i i don't know if you've noticed this um because my 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 great uncle used to collect test trucks. Um, and then my parents started doing that for my nephew. And now, um, since I, down here in South Florida, I, I, I would dare you to locate a Hess station. Um, but now the, the, the gas station that has replaced Hess down here, uh, Speedway, they also do a, uh, holiday truck thing. I, I think everybody kind of took over, uh, the, the Hess idea of we're going to put, our logo on these toys and start selling them. I mean, you can't, you can see them at, I mean, mm -hmm. Publix has them. Yeah. I know my grand, my great uncle, he had quite the collection of Hess trucks and yeah, it was kind of crazy after a while. It was just like, he had some dating back. I want to say into like the early mid seventies. And I know that they, they date back even earlier. Cause I remember we went to a, was it the, I think it was like a, a flea market over in Tampa and we were looking and they had like some really old Hess trucks. Now the new ones, they're not just the truck. It's, it's like they have helicopters and race cars and boats and planes and stuff. It, yeah. It, it, it's gotten a little, it's gotten a little nuts. Yeah, I remember the last the last one I remember my parents getting for my nephew. It had like uh it was like a hauler that had like a motorcycle and a race car and and the one before it I think had like either the helicopter or had like a little jet or something. It was really yeah. It, it definitely jumped from just being the Hess gas truck. So I I, I did a little quick research here. 1964 was the first Hess truck. Wow. Yeah. That interesting. I uh, interesting marketing thing. And, and, and you're right. It, basically everybody since then has jumped on that and let's put our logo on this and put it out at, at holiday time. Now, here, here's some interesting stuff. They also, not only did they have the Hess tanker, but in 66, they had the Hess tanker boat, which according to what I can see here is the only naval vessel. Huh. Very interesting. So, um, <laughs> a little divergence on Hess, Hess Truck Lane. Um, so, I met you 
through Kayla and the History of Chivalry uh, Renfair group. So what got you into into the Renfair scene? Uh, I have been in the Renfair scene now going on easily 10 years, maybe 12. Uh, but it, actually, I go back a little further than that. Uh, I started with the uh, combat arts as far as sword fighting with Ampgard, which took place at a park not too far away from my house in the uh, late 90s. Uh, and again, another foray into LARPing. Uh, we would be, we'd have magic battles where we'd had magical weapons and things like that. And then we would, uh, I got invited to come along to a fighter practice. Uh, and I just started joining in with uh, the, the group and it just kind of morphed and, and went along the way of now you need to go and try this. Now you need to go and try this. So it's kind of getting a little bit of experience in a lot of different areas. And I just found my little niche there and it, I, I, I love it every, every year. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and I know, you know, you, I, I know from, you know, our, our association, like you aren't just about the sword fighting, but I definitely know that there was a lot of understanding about the, the equipment, the gear, the weapons, the, it wasn't just, I got a chance to come out and swing it and swing a weapon at somebody. There was a, a real love of the history. Uh, and again, kind of gets into a little bit of role playing uh, and, and playing roles. Um, you know, we all, you know, we all took on personas for the show, even, um, you want to talk about how, you know, that connection to it for you going into Renfair, uh, coming up with the persona was easy. Um, I have the location in mind of where I was cause I, I'm a student of history. So I pulled from that, from the history banks of the Castiles region of, which was back in the day, Southern France, Northern Spain. Uh, and created a persona around that's where I was from. Uh, and I tried to bring some of that out onto the field with working with equipment that tended to be overlooked, which is just using a sword and shield. Uh, I can absolutely use other weapons. Uh, I prefer not to, uh, just because my size tends to preclude me from using certain things. Yeah, I can see you with some of those heavier weapons. There, things would break. It's not necessarily the things that I worry about. It's the people. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess, I guess I was, yes, people, because yeah. But if I break them, I can't play with them again. Exactly. So you were uh, well known for your shield. I, I think that's probably uh, one of the most identifiable. Uh, pieces of your equipment that um, I know if I say if I saw you know a picture even if you didn't you know if the if you didn't have your your regular tabard on um, I would see that shield and know that that's Will I mean beyond your size but you know I'd see that shield and I know that's that's Will yeah the, the shield is very very distinctive and I, I have to give pro uh, a shout out to uh, my buddy Justin who made that shield entirely by hand and did such an amazing job that he is the bane of everyone uh, on the field because they hate that shield. Uh, I personally love it. And I do, I enjoy the fact that it's so distinctive. It stands out um, against everything else that's out there. Can you describe the shield for, 
for the listening audience so that way they can get the mental image of it uh there, there's a couple of different names for it it could either be a kite shield or uh some people call it a teardrop shield uh, but it's an, actually an inverted teardrop, so I like to call it a kite shield. Uh, it has my personal heraldry on it, which is a howling wolf and three crescent moons. So the wolf, the, the wolf is, is obviously myself, and the three crescent moons are representing my three my three kids. Um, what really stands out is it's it's white and blue, which against the backdrop and the landscape of everything around, just pops out um the thing that people hate the most is i'm a big guy as it is so getting close to me to hit me with a weapon is difficult to begin with because i'm six four pretty much everybody else is under the six foot mark but this kite shield stands at about four and a half feet tall and about nice. two feet wide and it only weighs about five pounds oh yeah so picking it up and shoving it in somebody's face is a really easy thing for somebody of my size which is good because then i don't get nearly as tired or nearly as hit oh that too yeah no there there were plenty of of times i remember being out on the field and watching futilely as people tried to go over or around and it was just you know then would come down your sword from from either over the shield or around the shield and yeah well the the, the fun part about the shield is it protects my body but not necessarily my head and i have a pretty big melon so that that's a constant target but yeah but it's all the way up there yeah, that is up there, and they have to reach it first. Yeah. So what you're saying is step on your toe first. <laughs> well, it's really easy to get me to fall over. All you got to do is get me to move really a lot. But the problem is you gave me the nickname of the mountain, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> I don't move much. Exactly why we gave you the name. <laughs> So, so years of LARPing and years of Renfair and combat and all of that fun stuff. Um, and I believe you still do the Renfair every year. What are you doing now besides hosting with us? Uh, as far as what? I don't know. Geeky endeavors? Uh, geeky endeavors. God, I wish I had more time. <laughs> don't we all? Um, the amount of content that I have to try and get through in a weekly basis is overwhelmingly staggering um i do plenty of tv watching uh podcasts uh, god trying to get through all of it is just it, it should be a full-time job in and of itself if somebody told me that i could have a job just absorbing like geeky information nobody told me that was a job it could be we just need to make it one i'm trying <laughs> I know you did tell me the other day that you were helping your daughter with some cosplay. How did that turn out? It was absolutely amazing. Uh, she made a marionette character and then transformed the marionette character into a marionette Pikachu hybrid uh, thing. Not necessarily sure what she was trying to call it, but I I'm going to run with it. Uh, she did an amazing job. Uh, she takes very much after her mother's uh, for makeup artistry. That's very cool. I loved the pictures that you sent me. She was so cute. That 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 she definitely is. It helped her uh, get through some of the more trying parts of her childhood. So, are all of your kids big old? Uh, wait, hold on. Are all of your kids big old geeks like you? No, I don't think so. Uh, the youngest is most definitely a geek. 
she tries desperately hard not to be, but she she is there. Uh, my well, there's no not so much. It's funny. Some of them will take after you and run with it, and other ones look at you like you're crazy. Oh, I am crazy, so that's easy. <laughs> so the real question: Is it Star Wars, or Star Trek? Is yes an option? Yes, it is. That's the actual yes. correct answer. Yes, that is the correct answer. <laughs> Now, are, are we going to break this down as far as Star Trek or Star Wars? Are we going to oh, break it down into the minutia? <laughs> 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 that's a whole other conversation, man, because you can go all over the place with that. I'm curious. Let's start with Star Trek. Um, I am against the grain when it comes to Star Trek. My very favorite series is Deep Space Nine, which I can hear people around the world groaning, but I still uh, it's, think it's some of the best storytelling that they ever had. On this show, you are in the majority. Yeah, I will give you a geek point for that. And yes, you are along with the rest of us because that is also our favorite. So I, I, I am a self-professed uh, geek of all trades. I don't necessarily delve into any one particular thing. Uh, so deeply that I can recall tracks and uh, uh, facts and minutia trivia off the top of my head. But if you want to see some of the greatest writing Star Trek has ever produced, watch the DS9 episodes where Ben Sisko goes back to uh, back in time and place uh, where he is. Oh, and it slipped my slipped my brain. Um, I believe you're probably referring to Beyond the Stars, where he is the pulp science fiction writer. Yes, where he plays Benny, and that is some of the best writing that you'll ever find. Absolutely, absolutely. That, uh, and it's funny. I don't know if you've ever heard interviews with the cast, especially with Avery Brooks. Um, but when they ask what his favorite, what a lot, a lot, most of them, what their favorite DS9 episode is, uh, most of them point to uh, Beyond the Stars. Uh, for a good number of the staff, uh, it was the the one time that they got to show up for a week and and be in makeup the least amount of times. Um, but yeah, and, and Avery Brooks, I remember I saw one and they asked him and he kind of gave the, you know, when you ask a dumb question or you're asked the dumb question, you, you kind of have that momentary look of you're stunned by the dumbness of the question he gave that look and he was like obviously beyond the stars uh take a geek point for pulling that uh that the name of the episode out for me thank you you're very well um yeah that that is that's probably got to be it's, it's in my top 10 of the ds9 i uh in the pale moonlight the one where they uh where, where he sets in motion the uh the plan to get draw the romulans in and he has to work with garrick and and basically all of the all of the underhand things that he had to do to get the uh to get the romulans to enter on the side of the uh, uh, to enter against the uh the uh dominion um, I, I like to call the i like to call that episode uh for the greater good yeah absolutely but I, I love there's the one line about it is, you know, it, and all it costs was the, you know, the dignity of one Starfleet officer or the integrity of one Starfleet officer. I can handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry. The, the exact line is I can live with that. Yeah, I can live with that. Well done for pulling the quote out. That's a geek point. Well, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I, I still think that probably as good as Beyond the Stars was, I, I think the episode where Ben and Jake fly the solar uh, the solar sailor mm -hmm. uh, is probably my favorite episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know I'm on record on this show, and, and I say it all the time, 
most of the time to poor Kayla because she has to listen to me all the time. Um, the the father-son relationship of Ben Sisko and Jake Sisko has to be one of the best representations of a father-son relationship I've seen in media portrayal ever. Um, and the dynamic was so different because it, you didn't, at least in that time frame where that show aired, you never really saw father and son. You mainly saw mother and son. Yes. Yeah. Um you know, it was, it, it, it's, and it's, you know, it, it wasn't, in my mind, it wasn't so saccharine and sweet that, you know, dad knows best, but it also wasn't, I have to rebel against dad for every little thing he says. It was like, it was a very organic feeling, son growing up with single father, dealing with, you know, dealing with being relocated, be, dealing with all these things. Um, and then, and then throw in uh, the grandfather and just, and and the scenes between uh, Ben Sisko and his father um, are amazing as well. Uh, just the, the the father-son dynamics that they they portrayed uh, just were really hit me. Really like they didn't they like I said they didn't go super saccharine sweet. They didn't go I have to rebel at every little thing you say. It just felt very real, very very natural. Um, right down to later in this, like later in the series uh, during the said Dominion War, when they evacuated the station and Jake got left behind on the station by his own choice, and Cisco having to accept that his grown son has to make decisions for himself now. Yep. Yeah. 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 That. That. I. And. And Avery Brooks again plays it so well um where he's you know i can't turn around the whole fleet to go get jake you know he made his decision he's a, he's a man um and and i definitely like the 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 butting up that did occur from time to time after jake became you know the writer for the uh federation news service of you know him wanting to be you know on the ships or part of the missions or or whatever as an observer it just it, it definitely was again uh, it just really painted in a very distinctive mural of of father son interactions and you know maybe not always agreeing not always being on the same side of an issue but still having that that bond between them that didn't uh you know that just because the disagreement didn't mean they weren't able to still come together and and have dinner in you know cisco's uh quarters i i think that still goes back to the writers where they were able to take uh what was being seen as uh, a negative of just having the space station, not ha not being on a ship, not having that five-year mission. Uh, they had to delve into the interconnecting uh, life aboard a space station, oh, where yeah. it, it, it took a little more of a character-driven rather than uh, an exterior... Uh, force to act upon it to make things happen. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely see, you know, not having a kind of a, a the monster of the week sort of progression or, you know, mission of the week sort of situation where now it's, you know, they made episodes about just the day-to-day -day routine of trying to make that station work, you know, work together with, you know, Cardassian federation and bajordan you know parts um you know it, it i mean just... they, they did an entire episode on o'brien and the computer system yes yes 
<laughs> which is still one of the best episodes too yeah yeah I, and, and the funny thing is is if if you tell me like three years four years into the next generation we're going to do a spinoff series because let me set on a space station um and chief o'brien is the only character that we're really well until season four when they bring Worf. um but he, he, we're going to build this series with you know chief o'brien from the transporter room uh you know being the you know one of the anchor characters i've been like so they're trying to fail uh he wasn't just one of he was the anchor character for a good first oh, yeah. half of that of that first season because oh, uh, the only other character you know they, they they all had a couple had periphery knowledge of each other like cisco and dax knew each other from a previous life literally <laughs> um bashir's brand new fresh out of starfleet you've got Kira, who just got done fighting a war, and O'Brien, who is your only familiar face that's going to tie all of these little lines together until you get so deeply connected to all the rest of them. Absolutely. Yeah, if you think about it, it was kind of brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, but but definitely had the had risks on it too. Yeah, because he was never really outside of a couple of you know the O'Brien computer episode and he had significant points in other episodes he never really was the one of the main characters he was all he, he was almost always a side note hey well what's happening with o'brien now yeah there were very few uh very few episodes where o'brien was the a story he was always he, he was always worked into the b or the c but he was very rarely the a the a, a, and however i would say when o'brien did get to be the a story um like the one where he's the undercover operative uh trying to info infiltrate the orion syndicate uh to find out how they keep tracking down you know starfleet intelligence another uh, uh, another testament to colmini's range as an actor oh my god and and then to later see him i don't know if you ever watched it uh hell on wheels uh amc fantastic series. show fantastic show and and you go from lovable o chief o'brien to oof i want to see this guy get his comeuppance uh yeah it, de it definitely speaks to uh cole meanies uh his his craft as an actor is it just me or can you close your eyes and see gene hackman a little bit yeah yeah i can yeah there's something in those rosy cheeks that uh that that calls to both could he pull off lex Uther though I don't know if he could. You'd have to get rid of the curls. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like Colmini himself as an actor and a person, if offered the role of Lex Luthor, might kind of go, eh, maybe not. Yeah, I got it. Well, maybe. It depends on how, uh, it, it, depend, it, it depends on the check, I guess. English is hard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I, you know, when I think about it and going, uh, you know, going from Next Generation where O'Brien was definitely background uh, for a lot. There were a few episodes where he was a little more involved, um, but never, you know, again, he was never like main bridge crew or anything like that. Um, but it really just like uh, to say, OK, we're going to use him as our, our, our anchor character for a series um, just seemed like seems like a risk. However, a risk that paid off extremely well um and going back to the beyond the stars character i loved his character in that episode the uh the guy who just likes to write about robots yeah i 
I can't think of a single character that I didn't enjoy out of those episodes. They, they all filled their purposes perfectly. I read somewhere, and I don't remember where um, it's been a bit, but I read somewhere that every one of those characters was modeled after a different author. I can totally see that. I'll have, yeah. I'll have to try to find the source for that again. I don't remember, but it made sense to me. I remember reading it going, you know, that that it works. Yeah. And how, how sad is it that we're, we're that, that episode... Which, if you haven't seen it, please go go back and rewatch it. A lot of that episode still has truths and lessons that we still, in 2020, need to learn. Yeah, it is it is stuff that we're dealing with right now. In fact, we actually just watched it uh, maybe a week or so ago, and I I remember like just kind of stopping, and especially when it gets to where Cisco does that monologue where he just breaks down at the end. Um, and just sitting there and just tears because it was like, mm -hmm. this was so long ago that this was done. And this is portraying an era that was even further back and we're dealing with it right now. And it's like, yes, if you have not seen this episode, if you watch no other episode of Star Trek, you can still watch this episode and get the meaning. It is absolutely incredible. And, and it's a little, it's a little tough because of what we're going through right now, but very worth it. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things to point out, and I actually got the title wrong, it's far beyond the stars, not just beyond the stars, um, is that uh, uh, Avery Brooks directed the episode uh, and played uh, Benny Russell, uh, which I, I just that part of it is is is, you know, because you as you watch him um, and him, you know, the, the depths he has to go to for that role. And to also understand that, you know, he was directing it. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, that he, you know, he, he was starring, but he, you know, and carrying such a, a heavy dramatic load, but he also was directing it. He truly is a man of many talents. He's also a fantastic singer. Yes. And piano player. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Shatner's The Captain's uh, documentary, um, but he goes and interviews Avery, uh, Avery Brooks in his house. Uh, and Avery is at the piano the entire interview and is just, you know, playing the piano and talking with with Shatner and just uh, just incredible. Uh, I believe nowadays he's uh, teaching uh, uh, teaching drama uh, or performing or performance at uh, a university in New Jersey. I want to say I could definitely see that. So I think we, we we've got your your star your Star Trek bona fides down because you of course are the fan of the best for best series. <laughs> <laughs> um so for for the star wars side of this uh discussion uh where, where do you where do you fall on the the original prequel or sequel uh as far as the best movie trilogy or best movie best stories where what are we looking for here because if you're looking for the best series of stories it's going to be star wars rebels <laughs> I, I think I can I can I can see your point on that one. Um, I've really been impressed though with uh, with Clone Wars, uh, especially with this uh, final season that they finished up this year. Clone Wars was absolutely fantastic, and it laid the groundwork very well. Uh, my my issue with Clone Wars is is very spotty, uh, and what I mean by that is I believe the first canologically speaking uh episode is season three episode one yeah i, I think they jump around the timeline a lot and then they try to go back and make it up 
kind of like we didn't have any faith in this so we wanted to try and tell stories that we thought you'd like yeah there definitely was there was something of that nature where you definitely got um and especially if you didn't see the uh the initial movie some things are a little out of joint as well yeah, and part part of me wants to say that that was just Disney and Lucas not necessarily having a lot of confidence in Dave Filoni uh, to see what he could do with it, coming off of Avatar: The Last Airbender and giving him a show to deal with. Uh, maybe they just handed him a couple of stories and said, "See what you can do with this, and we'll go from there." Yeah. I, and I can also see also because they had, you know, had already had done the, uh, the, uh, Gendy Tartakovsky, did the Gendy Tartakovsky, uh, Clone Wars episodes, uh, before it. Um, you know, they, I, I can totally see there being a little bit of a, um, okay, we need to, you know, we want to tie this more in and, you know, kind of rein a little bit of the, uh, artistic freedom that, uh, that was there to kind of tie it more closely into the uh, into the Star Wars canon because uh, from what I remember hearing, it was uh, between episode I think it was between episode one and two uh, of the you know uh, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. Um, there was a a point where um, in the cartoons. Anakin had uh, gotten a scar over his eye, um, and because uh, Lucas had already said that uh, the Clone Wars series was canon. Um, they when they were starting to do the shoots for uh for the second movie um the one of the uh one of the uh ad's was like or not ad's but uh one of the pas was like uh we got to give him a scar over the eye and lucas was like why and they're like oh because in the cartoon it happened and he was like oh okay give him a scar give him one give him credit for one thing he likes continuity definitely does definitely does um george lucas was always pretty good about uh letting things be canon that weren't necessarily his work but that became part of of everything he was the same way with tag and bank when it was first mm -hmm. written it was written as a spoof and and for fun uh but he read it and went yep that's it it's canon and you know was totally willing to to give credit for that and i thought that was super cool well that's a geek point thank you um he also did the same thing um when they were coming out with what we now call the extended universe um books uh it's it, the story is is that he gave um timothy zahn uh the west end uh d6 powered uh star wars role-playing game books he was like here's here's equipment here's starships here's alien races um this is all canon uh, Nothing like being handed a toy box and saying, here, go play. Right. And it's funny. Um, I listened to this one podcast called uh, Expounded Universe. Um, uh, it's by the guys who also do a show called System Mastery. But they read uh, various uh, books from the Expanded Universe. Uh, well, I guess they're now called the Legends um, books. Uh, and, and one of the things they comment on is that especially some of the older books um the authors will try to make up races and it's always like this one and done thing like oh you know we've you know i we made a a, a new you know a new race of aliens that you know it's 
17 legs and 37 eyes and it's only ever going to appear in this one book and there's no connection um and then later on uh once timothy zahn really got in and going uh the authors kind of stayed closer to the aliens that uh that are presented with the exception of like every once in a while like okay we got to make a you know we're going to make the bad guy alien but he's going to be a one-off of his species so here you go yeah this, this here's the last and we're gonna watch it die at the end of this at the end of the book pretty much it's it's either like this is the last or at the at the best this is the only one you're ever gonna see because none of the other writers who are writing in the expanded universe or expanded universe ever really you know looked at what the others had done well at, at some point in time you just got to look at it and go there's way too much so you're not going to look too deeply into it uh, versus pulling from, let me pull from my core characters, the, you know, you got the Wookiees, the Twi'leks, the humans, the, the Toydarians, you, you mm -hmm. pick your, pick your five or six different, uh, races and, and run with it. It's, it's not until somebody pulls something out, um, and make something great out of it to where somebody sits up and pays attention to it. Joe, by the way, I, I'm throwing you a geek point for that knowledge drop as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know. So talking about, okay, so so Rebels is, is your best for Star Wars storytelling. Um, of the movies, um, and let's throw in the standalone movies as well. Uh, which would you say is your favorite Star Wars movie? Uh, it is, uh, I would say, Episode 5 is my favorite, followed very, very, very closely by Rogue One. That, that's solid. Uh, I, think, I think everybody recognizes Empire as probably the best of the uh of the star wars movies of course uh, it is it was argued in a kevin smith movie therefore it's true <laughs> um and rogue one really yeah yeah that i remember we went, when kayla and i went and watched it and it was definitely where it it takes you on a ride uh it it, it really does make you feel a lot of things and and um gives you a really good strong female protagonist uh who as I think Kayla pointed out, as we were sitting there in the, uh, uh, we we're sitting there, she's like, they didn't like push the romance on her on them until pretty much the end. It it, I, it, it was uh, we're we're gonna die, so we might as well do this now. Yeah, the the end part of it, you know, that little thing was was great, and it was a nice little little moment. But I loved that they just they kept focused on the story, they kept focused on her as just a strong character, and it wasn't like you know, oh, she's just here to you know, turn on the male character or whatever. Yeah, she is not, she was definitely not window dressing for that movie at all. Uh, mm. I, I think the they're, the only character that overshone her was K2. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the, probably one of the greatest introductions to a character in all of Star Wars. Hello, you're being rescued. Do not resist. <laughs> we've covered Star Wars, covered Star Trek. Uh, I think we've we've gotten a pretty good image of the geek that is Will. You're thus then welcomed into the Geekiest podcast as a host with all the rights and responsibilities therein. So speaking of that, we got well, now, now there, there's a very important question. Do we get jackets or Dakota rings? Uh, T-shirts, which I'll need to talk to you offline to get your size for your T-shirt. And buttons. You get buttons, too. And you get buttons. <laughs> Love buttons. <laughs> um so geek news uh let's go around who's got some geek news to share 
I know Will does. I do have geek news to share. What you got? Uh, so, uh, this past week, EA Star Wars Squadrons not only got a, an official release date, they got an official trailer, and they got some gameplay footage that went out this week. Uh, the game is using the Frostbite game engine, which gets used quite a bit by FIFA, by Madden, by uh, Battlefront. Uh, other Star Wars games as well. Uh, this game, Squadrons, will take place uh, shortly or a little after the Battle of Endor. Uh, the now New Republic and the Empire are still battling over Yavin Prime and other Outer Rim worlds like SLs and the Nadiri's Dockyards. Uh, still going head-to-head, -head, trying to get this uh, battle figured out, leading into the first order and the full-on new republic uh this game is going to be a little different it's going to be a 5v5 uh affair uh where you can take uh different ships from the new republic such as the classic x-wing y-wing a-wing and u-wing and the empire's tie fighter tie bomber tie interceptor and tie reaper which is a support ship uh, and you'll be able to unlock new features, skins, different mods to personalize not only your fighters, but your pilots as well. Uh, some initial modes that for introduction are going to be your obligatory solo mode, uh, where you go through the story on both sides. Apparently, you're going to switch back and forth between the New Republic and the Empire. Oh, wow. So that'll be interesting. You're going to get to be able to go through... Uh, the different stories and the character developments. And then once you finish the solo mode, from what I understand, you have to go through that before you can unlock the uh, full 5v5 five, five five, uh, dogfight mode, where you can adjust your fighters and team up with your buddies online and go up against a separate five-person squadron. And then finally, a fleet battle, which will be your 5v5 battle, but it will be a multi-stage, uh, objective-based 5v5, uh, where not only do you have the space fights, but you have to go and attack different things and use your skills and your tune to make your mission work. Okay, am I the only one who's smelling at least that dog, either the dogfight or fleet battle is setting up to make, uh, make this a... Uh esports uh franchise it absolutely could and one of the things that i'm looking forward to the most out of this is uh pcs and playstation 4 will have cross-play support oh wow uh, unfortunately not for us xboxers but you can also get vr compatibility for the pc and playstation 4 for this game so you can literally get behind the stick of your x-wing oh, wow. or tie fighter and go on your adventures wow and when is that supposed to be uh getting into the hot hands of of eager star wars fans this game is gonna drop october 2nd of 2020 provided there's no delays uh 39.99 pre-order you can order it right now across all the platforms uh you'll get a pre-order bonus of cosmetic features, flight suits for your fighters, 
fighter skins and decals for both New Republic and Imperials. Uh, and you can find the official trailer from EA on the EA Star Wars YouTube page. Um, there will be a link in the show notes. And when you watch the trailer, keep an eye out for a couple of special cameos from Wedge and General Syndulla. Oh, cool. Well, that's uh... That sounds, uh, as a kid who grew up playing the Star Wars arcade game where you sat down and flew your X-Wing uh, doing the attack on the Death Star, this sounds very entertaining. If there wasn't a kid who didn't go through the Luke Skywalker playing with your toy plane and imagining yourself in a dogfight. <laughs> were you even a fan of Star Wars? Uh, you, were you even a kid? <laughs> Everybody did that. I had to learn how to make X-Wings and TIE Fighters out of Legos because my parents wouldn't let me have Star Wars toys, but I did it too. Take a geek point on self-making your X-Wings and TIE Fighters. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Also, geek point for the review. That was well done. Thank you, sir. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one last bit of sad news. Uh, Ian Holm passed away on the 19th. Uh, he is best known for his roles in Alien, where he played Ash. Uh, the Fifth Element, where he was father of Vito Cornelius. Uh, he was the voice of Chef Skinner in Ratatouille, and most notably for his portrayal of Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series, as well as the BBC radio adapt adaptation of Lord of the Rings way, way, way back when. Uh, He's a graduate of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. He was also a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, Tony Award winner. He was nominated for two Emmys. Uh, and he got to act right next to one of my personal heroes, Dame Judi Dench. Love her. Yeah, he is uh, really incredible and is going to be missed. Yeah. yeah Some definitely. of his stage work was absolutely amazing. And you know, that's another aspect of geekdom that I like to get into as well uh his, his performances in king lear uh and with the the royal shakespeare uh group were, was absolutely amazing there's a um there's a video there's a, a movie version well not a movie version but that that performance of him and king lear that is on video somewhere right i know i've seen it i'm sure one exists uh you probably find it on the youtube or the the, the fountain of all knowledge google uh, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I would I would love to go back and watch that again uh, just to honor him because I remember watching it when I was younger and it was wow. Maybe if BBC ever gets around to launching a streaming site, they'll be able to open their vaults. Oh, from your mouth to the universe's ears. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> that would be amazing. Lord knows they have the library. Right. Uh, just there is uh i know they are part of britbox the bbc which is a streaming service why don't we have this um <laughs> have you been sitting on this secret show i remember hearing about it on a podcast and a like a commercial for it and you know you, it just you heard out. it from a guy who knew who knows a guy whose brother's second cousin was on the board something like that or you know some podcasters you know got to got it as a advertiser and i remember hearing about it 
And it kind of probably fell out of the back of my head. Because I know like for a while, we also had the BBC America app on our Roku. Um, yeah, I need this in my life. I need to be able to like decide that I want to see Kenneth Branagh in something and just turn on the TV. I will make oh, this I, happen. It, I, 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 BBC's got plenty of programming out there. They've got a bunch of stuff already on Netflix. But uh, unfortunately, it's not the stuff that you really hear about from the UK. Yep. Well, we will have to change this. Absolutely. Um, so I've got some uh, some some geek news. Do it. Uh, the first one, unfortunately, is in the same sad vein as as the passing of Ian Holm uh, today. Uh, this morning, uh, Joel Schumacher, uh, director, former costume designer, uh, passed away at the age of eighty. Uh, he had been battling cancer for a little over a year. Uh, Joel Schumacher, probably best remembered for St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, Falling Down, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Um, he also directed the uh, big screen uh, adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's the Phantom of the Opera. Um, he, you know, kind of crossed. Uh, he kind of crossed a, a, a bunch of different genres. Uh, he also did uh, The Client, uh, based on the John Grisham novel. Uh, he did it A Time to Kill as well. Um, he's just, you know, was very much a, uh, you know, was a very visual director. Um, there definitely were some misses in there, um, but. He had a forty-year uh, career um, and definitely, uh, you know, definitely made uh, a dent in Hollywood. Uh, was an openly gay man, uh, and at part of his time uh, directing, that was uh, not something that you wanted to be known. Uh, but he, you know, did it and uh, did it openly. And I guess, you know, as we're in Pride Month. Uh, it is, you know, good and and needed to recognize, you know, those folks who stepped out of the closet at a time when, you know, that's where they wanted people to be kept. So, uh, you know, huge, uh, huge directorial uh, career um, and uh, definitely a vision, uh, a visionary um, who, you know, you don't get too many like him. So he was one of those directors that everybody's seen something he made. It may not have been all the same thing, but he crossed so many different genres that you almost couldn't see something that he didn't have a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, I was just looking at some of the things. Uh, he also was, uh, did screenwriting, um, including 1979's musical The Wiz, the 19, 1978 hit uh, Car Wash. Um, he uh, did The Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. He did DC Cab. Uh, just so many. It's one of those things where like, you can't pigeonhole him and say, well, he only made these movies. He did everything across the board um, from serious drama to tongue in cheek comedy to, you know, he also did television work. Just, you know, an impressive career. Um, and, uh, you know, and again, he crossed into our genres, you know, Lost Boys, uh, his Batman films, uh, just, you know, uh, it's definitely a loss. Um, so on different news, uh, but still kind of Batman-ish news, um, there are reports that Michael Keaton is in talks with uh, Warner Brothers to reprise the role of Bruce Wayne slash the Batman in the upcoming Ezra Miller um, Flash movie, uh, according to sources. The Flash movie is going to be loosely based off the Flash 
the Flashpoint Paradox um, storyline from the comics. Uh, so they are going to bring the multiverse idea into the DC cinematic universe. Um, they'd already brought that idea into the DC television universe with uh, this year's uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, for those unfamiliar with the Flashpoint Paradox, uh, Barry Allen, who is the Flash, that everybody knows is a Flash because he tells everybody he's the Flash. Um, using connecting to the, the the Speed Force, he's able to uh, time travel. And his first attempt at time traveling, or an attempt at time traveling, is to go back in time and stop his mother from being murdered. Um, and in doing so, creates a paradox. Um, and in the comic books, it goes one way. This movie is going to go a separate way. Uh, and from what I was reading, they're looking to maybe get uh, Michael Keaton into a multiple movie deal so that they can utilize his older Bruce Wayne Batman as a mentor to, you know, new, uh, new crime fighter, the flash uh, who we've seen in Batman v Superman. You saw him briefly. And then he was in the justice league movie uh, again, played by Ezra Miller. Um, I think it's kind of a, a an interesting take. Um, I know there were fans clamoring to have Michael Keaton reprise the role in in a version, you know, maybe a big screen version of uh, Batman Beyond, which would be pretty cool. Uh, but I think this is an interesting way to bring Michael Keaton and his Bruce Wayne Batman into uh, the cinematic universe, which would also make Michael Keaton uh, one of those interesting folks who has will, will have played a character in both Marvel and DC's. Uh, well, I guess he already has since he played Batman originally, um, you know, and he's played the the Condor, uh, the Vulture in uh, the Spider-Man franchise. And he could absolutely reprise that role as well. Uh, now, when he taps into this, uh, uh, the Flashpoint and, and takes everybody back in time, does he run around the world really, really fast and cause the Earth's rotation to change? No, because that is apparently a that's a thing. That's a Superman thing for from the uh, the 1978 Superman motion picture uh what flash has is a uh time treadmill okay hold on i stopped watching flash a little while ago and apparently i shouldn't have i missed it treadmill question mark um this this goes back not just to uh the shows this goes to the flash comic books okay i totally missed it somehow yeah he has so a, he has, he has this treadmill that he attached what a flux capacitor to it what <laughs> that's a geek point i'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not the the time. It's the cosmic tread treadmill. Not that it makes it any better. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> oh, it's uh, totally better. <laughs> there, there are there are cosmic rays and how it interacts with the speed force. And listen, I didn't make this up. Okay. <laughs> Take this up with John Broom and Carmine Infantino, okay? Oh, come on. If there are things that we're going to be taking up with people, there are much better subjects to come up with. <laughs> I, I, I think... <laughs> I, I think I need a t-shirt. I think I need a cosmic treadmill t-shirt. It's I, <laughs> I'm sure you can get that on DC's uh, website somewhere. I'm you know, I ran have to wear that to the gym though. <laughs> yes. I ran on the cosmic treadmill and all I got is this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> and it's not soaked with sweat. 
Nope. Because you went back in time and dried off. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you were going somewhere. I just, I okay. <laughs> no, no. That, that's called a derailment. <laughs> To say the least, goodness gracious, you know, I love comics and I love my geekdom and I love all of the silliness and something like that comes up and you just, you gotta, you gotta stop and give it the proper respect. Okay. Since we're going to take this derailment, Joe, what is your favorite weirdest thing that you've seen in comics or comic adaptations that just makes you shake your head and go, what? Um... Oof. In comics, uh, oof. that's there's a lot. Um, the whole uh, it's really tough because like I'm I, like part of me wants to go like the whole Age of Apocalypse uh, storyline from the X Men, like just because Professor X got killed, all of a sudden Apocalypse gets put in control. Um, but then. If I'm thinking about the movie adaptations, um, I'm going to go with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man where you you cast Willem Dafoe to play the Green Goblin. And then you put him in a mask that does not move. That That is an interesting thought, considering you're casting someone who is so well known for his face and his facial expressions to then take that away. And I mean, not like, so well known for, but that face just says, Put a little latex on it. You got it. You got the Green Goblin. I mean, you look at the you look at the comic book. You look at him. It's right there. Yeah, but why why would you cast somebody with such a, a, a remarkable personality and and recognizability, uh, the ability to be recognized, and then put him in a mask that you're not going to see anything, and it's just going to be a static picture staring at you. Sam Raimi did a lot of right things in that that spider-man series that is kind of the the one where i'm i i i'm just you just why what 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 are you what are you doing for for me and, and this is gonna rub a lot of people the wrong way but professor hulk that this had to be a thing you know yeah it was a little bit of an interesting take um not not unfounded in the pages of the comics but it was a little it I wish they would have explained a little more or dealt a little more with the how Bruce and Hulk got back together, um, especially when you consider an Infinity War uh, after the Hulk gets uh, gets the beat down by Thanos, that he won't then reemerge from Banner when Banner needs him. It, it's, it's like they went with the story of the only thing that we really have in common is the fact that we both got our ass kicked by Thanos. Yeah. That that definitely, and it's one. It's like okay, so how did how did he merge? I, I would have liked a little more on that. You know, I, I would have liked to have gotten a little more of you know while while the world is recovering because it's what there's like five years between the snap and what's going on in in uh, in Endgame, and it's like okay, you could have given me a little time on you know showing us Banner and whatever he is doing to get the Hulk under control so that he can be big and green and. Uh, you know, physics nerd. Kayla, what about you? For me, it I'm 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 a toss-up between a few different things, but I think what it boils down to is everything labeled the bat something in the original Batman series. Like the most famous, of course, being like bat shark repellent. But there are so many absolutely hysterical bat labeled something or others in that that you just go, wait, what? 
<laughs> I am constantly amused by the the anti crime computer, the three dimensional bat restorer, the the bat homing transmitter, the bat ladder, the bat lab. Like it goes on and on and on, and it's absolutely hysterical. It's one of my favorite things about that show, and every time just makes me go, what what? <laughs> I love it. You know that somewhere out there in the in in the record of all recorded things, somebody sat down and compiled a list. Yeah, um, I actually just looked it up um, because I couldn't remember all of them. Um, and and like, yeah, there's bat oscilloscope viewer. There's so so many so many good ones. It is absolutely hysterical. I think I think my favorite from the Batman things is that he had a bat cave in London. <laughs> That's good. Take take that key point. <laughs> I like the secret elevator to the umbrella shop. That was a good one. And there's your key point. Agreed. Um, other geek news I have. Uh, August 15th. It'll be time to toss a coin to your Witcher. Because season two of The Witcher comes back to Netflix. Woo! Apparently, they got everything done before they got all principal shooting done before everything shut down for COVID. Um, and they are primarily out of England. So they've been able to do post-production stuff. And yeah, so they're coming out August 15th, which then like, I don't know, five days later, six days later, you're going to be able to watch season five of Lucifer. Um, so not only getting the fifth season of Lucifer, uh, but it has now been... Uh, put out there, uh, put forward that uh, Lucifer will have a sixth season. Um, so I'm so excited, as you should be. Um, <laughs> Netflix made this announcement. Netflix made this announcement uh, for the new season of Lucifer with a 66.6 second trailer. I love that they're just leaning right into it. It's amazing. Unfortunately, because uh, I was just thinking about you know. Because Sabrina is, what, 17? We can't have that Lucifer-Sabrina crossover show. Oh, man. Yeah, but Sabrina's been 17 for, like, 30 years now. This this is very true. Although I am waiting for that Sabrina-Riverdale uh, crossover. Although, apparently, uh, there are folks on record saying that won't happen because, I guess, because of the whole difference between CW and Netflix. So, But they take place in the same same universe, but... We're not going to get a crossover. Which really sucks because all the crazy stuff that's going on in Riverdale definitely sounds like it's bleed over from Sabrina. Greendale. Greendale, yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Now, is that is that a feud that's still going, the CW and Netflix, uh, from them pulling stuff out to the DC app? Uh, there's still a little bit of a feud, uh, and I think it's probably going to get worse as stuff gets pulled out, not only for the DC app, but also now for the HBO Max app, um, because a lot of those shows um, are produced in part by Warner Brothers, so... Uh, I guess when contract ends, it's possibility some of those shows will disappear off to HBO Max. The content wars have begun. Oh yeah, it's gonna get messy. It's gonna be like Highlander. There can only be one. I'm gonna go ahead and go on record right now and put my money on the mouse. Not a bad wager, I would say. I mean, I was looking at the menu today and I saw they've now got the Fox, the most recent Fox uh, Fantastic Four movie uh, available for viewing. 
Not that I recommend you do it, but it's there. It's it's such a hard thing because like as as a as a representative of our culture of geek culture, I, I like to be able to speak intelligently if asked about things. So even sometimes the things that I may not necessarily like, I want to watch, but this one is just like eh, I don't wanna. <laughs> Take it as you're 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 sitting down and you're gonna fall on this grenade just this once. And once it's done, it's like eating peas when you're a kid. Once they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> this is true. I, I had to do that for Fifty Shades of Grey. I guess I'm going to have to do it for this Fantastic Four movie, too. I, I have watched it uh, when it first came on Netflix. And um, I will I will endure that again with you so that we can get through it so you can say you've seen it. Just like you endured the other night watching Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, you, <laughs> did, you didn't make her sit through that. I, I volunteered to sit through it because he had not seen the whole thing. So we watched it together. This is this is what we do for each other. This is we, we jump on the grenades for each other when we have to. Oh, I, I, I sat through it once. I don't think I can make it through it again. I, I think I have kind of a special place in my heart for it. I, I totally understand how campy it is um, and, and how awful most of it is. But at the same time, like my mom was kind of into stuff like that. So for me, I kind of the way that I get through it now is to kind of go kind of have that remembrance of my mom because she loved all that weird kind of off the beaten path, mystical type stuff. So it just I I. I just let it remind me of my mom and ignore Shia LaBeouf and we're good. Yes. But how are, how are you able to do that with Kate Blanchett's back and forth between her Australian British accent and whatever Russian Ukrainian thing she was doing? Cause that was just painful. Yeah. It's hard. It, it, it was like watching character roulette. What character yes. is she going to play this scene? <laughs> Every scene was a different character for her. <laughs> it was a sketch from whose line is it anyway? Where they just they just kept holding up sign for different accents. <laughs> no, here, here's what it was. One of the ads on on the side of the set had one of those pull string arrow spinners that the kids had when they were really really little and played the sound <laughs> of the different animals, and it was one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it was just labeled with accents. That's amazing. That sounds like a really good actor exercise. <laughs> I think I've seen that in an improv show or two before. And, and and the sad thing is, is I I've had the privilege of seeing Kate uh, Blanchett on stage uh, when I lived in New York. I got to see her uh, at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, uh, star in uh, Ibsen's Hedda Gobbler, uh, opposite Hugo Weaving. Um, That's a geek point. <laughs> And, and she is, she takes the stage and you you know she's there uh, and and no no disrespect to Mr. Weaving but uh, she owned that stage. I had the same the same experience with Kate Mulgrew. So oh geek point there getting to see Captain Janeway. Uh, that that would be Admiral, sir. Oh my God, that's Ad amazing! And that's another geek point for knowing <laughs> that she's an Admiral now. This is why I love you. <laughs> Okay. I, I I actually got to work with her uh, for a show called Looped, which up until a couple of years ago was still traveling, uh, where she plays the lead actress, and she was an absolute delight to work with. Oh my God, that's so cool! What were you doing on the show? I was uh, I, I was originally a stagehand uh, for 
load in and set build, uh, did some carpentry on it, some electrical, and then I was uh, second sound tech. So I would run the, the soundboard and the secondary lighting tech on that show as well. Wow, that's hot. That's definitely another key point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes. You know what? Kind of on a, the Admiral Janeway tangent, am I? You well, you've been. Have you watched um, Picard? I have watched Picard. Do you also have like I have this minor desire to have Admiral Janeway show up in season two somehow? I have this desire to see Jean Luc Picard go back and do old home week again. Um, there, there's a lot of places where Picard can go in the second season. Uh, and and a lot of rumors are already out there uh, bringing in uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko, who we spoke about earlier, uh, going off into totally different directions. And if they're going to continue the uh, the thread of bringing back old characters that have a connection, uh, absolutely, Captain Jane or Admiral Janeway can come into the picture. Uh, but the question would be then, what would she be doing? I could see her like checking in on Seven of Nine, seeing what she's doing. Or Seven having an issue where she needs to go to the Admiral. Because last last we saw of Admiral Janeway, she was working for Starfleet Operations. If I'm in an, I don't know if it was an administrative standpoint or uh, something on those lines, but she was uh, a higher up with Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah, I believe she was in Starfleet Command because she gave the uh, the mission to Picard to go to Romulus to meet with the new uh, uh, the new leader uh, Shinzon. Uh, that's basically the start of Nemesis. I really need to watch those movies again. They were really slow build, but they were really pretty decent movies. With with maybe Insurrection being one of the ones that I don't know. That one felt like it should have just been an episode of TNG. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. They definitely are slow build. Um, and what I also like about Nemesis, it's also one of the first times we ever see Mr. Tom Hardy, who plays Shinzon, the Romulan clone of Picard. That's a geek point. Who I did nothing like Picard? <laughs> Other than he was bald. I did hear, uh, I saw something uh, that Will Wheaton is going to be a part of uh, the next season or the season after. I can't remember which, but they did ask him to come back because uh, I saw him post that he was really excited to do it beyond his role on the ready room yes as actually part of the cast that would be cool because we could then find out what has he been up to as he tra has traveled around with the traveler exactly i think that's i i know i know i'm pretty sure it was actually him that i saw announce it for sure and i'll have to find it again so we can post the link but i believe that he was the one that actually announced that he's going to be a part of it well that's very cool what direction would you like to see book card go in you know it's it's one of those things where it's like i love that they've been doing kind of these big sweeping epic uh storylines and all of this action um and that's super cool and i want to see that like they you know they're doing it in discovery and they're doing it with picard and i want to see that continue but i'd also like to see maybe a little bit of the 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 episodical kind of uh every once in a while doing a kind of a problem of the week where they they get to to play themselves and flush out characters that are not in absolute mortal peril all the time um but i do like the the thread that they they have been going in of kind of this like it's a little bit more intense uh stuff but i would like to see them them slow down and do some some fun episode stuff too um i had my druthers i think 
uh, I don't know. It's part of me thinks like get in even more with the what actually happened with the the Romulan supernova. Um, but I don't know some part of me feels like between the first season of Picard and the you know the the Kelvin universe of the J.J. Abrams uh, films, we've kind of we've kind of beat around that enough. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting where does where to take Picard now because you know I I, I think it's another thing where you're you're gonna have to have that looming threat whether it's you know the Borg uh, coming um, or you know hey you can always just bring Q in that's always fun for a bit. Q makes for fantastic television wherever he shows up, especially My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. Ah, you beat me to the reference. That's a geek point. I was just gonna say that I totally want him to like come in and at some point make a pony joke well uh, that would be amazing uh i i kind of like picard going the direction that it's going in it's one uh really long movie where it's broken up into different segments uh, i i kind of want i kind of want to leave brave new worlds to handle the episodic uh, silliness of the week um, I, I think that's going to be a better uh, platform for it than Picard. That's true. You do have a point. I forgot that that, that was, was coming along, um, that they are going to have a vehicle for that. You're right. I, I am just impressed. Uh, I, I, you know, I trying to figure out how to say this, that they decided to give Anson Mount and, and his crew of the Enterprise their own show. I mean, one, it makes a lot of sense because season two, he stole it. Um, but just to be able to go, okay, you know, we we didn't, you know, we've, we've done a lot of Enterprise stories and we a lot of, did a lot of TOS era stories, but let's do it where, you know, the makeup and stuff doesn't look like a guy in a rubber mask. Um, so I think this, this lends to a lot of things. And I hope that means we get to see some more Rain Wilson as Harry mud he is an absolutely incredible mud i want to see lots more of him i agree uh i, I think he came in he came onto a sink a, a sinking ship uh figured out how to patch the hole bailed the water out and and took it in a new direction because uh, i i remember watching discovery and through the first season it was like this show's going nowhere and then they brought the enterprise in for all of two and a half seconds um, and then it was gone <clears throat> and all of a sudden now you've got Pike, a character that we all, we all know. And now he's taking this entire crew in a totally different direction and he picked up the ball and carried it very well. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, and, and the casting Anson Mount, uh, again, I think the first place I ever saw him was hell on wheels, but he, he plays a Pike that you, you know, you definitely you definitely connect to him. You know, you definitely get the, you know, this is this is a Starfleet captain in of that era, you know? I, I do see where he could possibly have pulled from the Kelvin uh Pike character. Uh I, I see a lot of similarities. Yeah, he the, the, he did take some of the Bruce Greenwood's portrayal. Um, but uh, Kayla brought up to the one time we were watching and she brought up how just the resemblance to Jeffrey Hunter, who played the original Captain Pike in the uh, Star Trek pilot. Um, and there is a physical resemblance there that is incredible. Not only him, but also uh, the woman that is playing the first officer looks very much like the woman who played his first officer in the original. That'd be Rebecca Romaine playing number one in uh, the new series and Majel Barrett, uh, who played number one in the pilot. Thank you. 
I, no, is it, I knew it was Michelle. Is, is it Rebecca Romaine or did she drop the Stamos or uh, is it just a silent no? Uh, she has dropped the Stamos. Uh, it's been a couple of years now that she has dropped the Stamos. Uh, that's how far out of touch I am. Poor Uncle Jesse. Who was surprisingly trending on Twitter the other day, which was funny enough. That's really weird. What, did, it, did another season of that Fuller House come out or something? Uh, I really hope not. <laughs> but I do know not too long ago, Lori Laughlin was, uh, I think she did it, finally agree to plead guilty to the whole uh, uh, entrance fixing scandal around her kids and and i she got some jail time and a fine and community service some blah 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 but what did she have to drive by the jail <laughs> probably i don't i don't think she went in i i have i haven't heard i mean i know felicity huffman went in for like all of like a day and a half to serve her like 14 days that she got for pleading guilty oh my goodness all right so okay what you got in geek news Okay, so I'm I'm being a little specific this time. I have one thing that really really hit me uh, this week. Um, I found a a young person who has a YouTube page um, by the name of uh, and I apologize if I get this wrong. Um, I did get their permission uh, to shout them out, and um, maybe possibly I'd love to talk about possibly getting them on the show. Um, Amaria Cosplay A M A R M a-R-I-A. Uh, they did this incredible, if you're a Critical Role fan, as, as I am, and we've talked about many times on the show, they did this absolutely beautiful Critical Role cosplay video uh, for Pride Month to the song This Is Me. And let me tell you, this these young people that put this together, it is, I mean, I cried. It is so dynamic and so beautiful and so well put together and so inclusive and, and just incredible representation. Um, the, the young person who, uh, who has the, the, the page on, on, uh, on, wow, English is hard. Instagram um, is also our Maria Cosplay, A-R-M-A-R-I-A Cosplay. Uh, their name is Mick. Um, and they are really an incredible person um they uh after the the video went out they they also kind of got the bravery to come out themselves and and wrote a beautiful article that i encourage everyone to go read uh on their instagram as well um please check them out their youtube video is just it is so fun and so cool and such a wonderful representation i, I couldn't do anything but but shout them out this week really cool and i i saw i saw the video and uh it definitely is very touching um and very well put together so we will have a link to that in the show notes yeah and i i will probably gush about them more at some point um as well but i really wanted to make sure that as many people as possible hear it see it watch it share it like it subscribe to them these are the young creators that are creating our future and they need to be supported as much as we possibly can don't they ever all right well uh we are getting a little long in the tooth here uh why don't we go to the big board of geek points and see uh how things shook out okay this is a this is a big one this time um uh joe you came out ahead with 10 uh will right behind joe with nine uh and me with a respectable three very respectable three I almost feel like it should have been a four. So I, I think 
give yourself one more. <laughs> just in posterity, just one more. <laughs> I, I think we missed you on one. Like you also put the the link to the bat thing in the show note or in the uh, group chat. So that that earns you the fourth. Okay, that's yeah. That I found like it is like the comprehensive list of all of the bat equipment. So I'm hoping we can post that because it's hysterical to read. On a tangent, I used to have the link to a site that had all of the "Are you thinking what I'm thinking?" from. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find that one again. But uh, so as I as I won, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Demorgus. You can that's D E M O R G U S. You can find this show on uh, information about the show at the Geekiest Pod across all the social medias. Uh, you can find me DMing the Not Safe for Wizards Fifth Edition Actual Play Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Um, I'm still working on getting the evolving DM stuff up so that we I can start doing some learn to plays and long distance one shots and i think that's about it for me will uh you can find me at the geekiest will uh on the twitter and the instagram not that i know how to use uh, the instagram very well i am showing my age but i'm sure i can get somebody to show me ask your kids they know they already know everything they, i can't get them to sit down long enough to show me <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part. They know everything. They just don't want to teach us. Well, it's their their contribution to society coming up. They have to show us how to use it on their time. All right. And Kayla. Okay. You can find me on the twits at hawk underscore Kayla. You can find me on Instagram at geekiest Kayla. That's kind of my main hub of all things geeky. Um, we also own a wonderful little vintage geeky witchy thrift shop in downtown Davie. If you're in the area, uh, please come and check us out and say hi at 4148 Davie Road. Um, and you can check out our website at secondhandgoddess.net. Uh, where you can see our eBay page and we're working on other stuff there as well, um, supporting our local artists and stuff like that. And of course, all the socials at Secondhand Goddess. Um, you can also find me playing Jade on the D&D 5th Edition uh, actual play podcast, Not Safe for Wizards. Um, I think that's it. That's probably it. There's other stuff coming. Look for other stuff coming. Lots of good things coming soon. And again, that's Kayla, K-A-I-L-A. So we, uh, again, as we're going through this pandemic, uh, and, and I have to tip my hat to Will, uh, he is uh, he posts all the time the numbers here for Florida. Uh, we just remind you, be safe, wear a mask. As Pete would say, don't be a dick. Um, Joe, I'm going to take this a totally different direction. Uh, and no geek points are allowed on this. Folks, if your RPG character had an empty equipment slot that offers you 30% disease protection, you'd equip it in a second. Huzzah. Uh, we've, uh, so again, don't be a dick. Wear your masks, wash your hands, social distance. We believe that Black Lives Matter. Thank you for listening this week. We'll be talking to you next week. Happy Pride. Bye. Bye. Remember, kids, leave the world a better place than you found it. Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor. Um, two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be... Share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.